Thank you for joining us today for a very special OmniTalk report that we are calling Retail's Big Short. Joining me today for this important conversation is who I like to call the Ryan Gosling of the retail real estate world, Shlomo Chop. Shlomo is the managing partner of Case Equity Partners and the only person you'll know who is knee deep in innovation on the real estate front, retail front, and prop tech fronts all at the same time. Shlomo, welcome to the show. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Anthony. Thank you so much for having me today. Now, Shlomo, you and I go way back. Um, I have been constantly bothering you, um, trying to really pursue my kind of side passion in this retail world of, you know, what the real estate component has, you know, how those, those, those roads cross. And you've been so gracious with your time sharing with me just kind of what's been going on and how that impacts what we're researching at AmiTalk on the future of real, of retail and real estate. And I wanted to have you here today because One of the conversations that we had reminded me of the movie, The Big Short, um, where, you know, all of this stuff is happening. We have new innovation happening every week. We covered on the Fast Five, but there is so much happening in the background that is really important for our audience to know who's focused on retail. So if you would, Shlomo, can you tell our audience who you are and what you do um, at Case? So Case Equity Partners is a company that uh, I started with uh, a friend of mine in about 2016. Before that point, rewind back, um, dropped out of college, looked at what I should be doing, saw real estate as a potential avenue to create wealth, got involved, you know, did okay, did some deals, and then the downturn happened, and then literally the big, the great financial recession crisis that hit. And what to do now? But there's one thing that I was good at, and always have been pretty good at, is sort of analyzing what's behind the scenes. And there are these things called CMBS trusts. They're securitizations that with you know. You talk about the movie, The Big Short, where these banks made a bunch of loans, they slice and dice them up, put them into bonds, and then they go to institutions and say, hey, we got a credit rated bond. Institution says, it's not real estate. No, it's bonds. It's not a mortgage. No, it's bonds. What's the rating? S&P, A plus, great, good, no problem. I'll pay you X percent or X, 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 yeah, X percent over treasuries. This is what I'm ready to pay because it's worth the risk, and they buy those things, right? The problem became that those bonds aren't really bonds. They're actually mm-hmm. bonds backed by properties, backed by mortgages. And in order to make it that the secure, secure bond investments for the actual institutions, you needed there to be a rigid set of circumstances. What happens if there's a problem? Right. That means it's rigid. Then a borrower who finds himself having a mortgage that was bought by a bondholder, having a problem, there's no negotiations to be had, no discussions to be had. He's got a problem talking to someone. Well, luckily for him, there is a set of rules that these guys that work on these bonds for the bondholders, these intermediaries called servicers use, and it's filed with the SEC. So what did I do? I downloaded the stuff from the SEC. I learned all the processes, and I said, wow, there is a way to actually influence that process to help these borrowers survive and be able to keep their properties by negotiating with these intermediaries and striking a deal. So at that point, it was about 2009, right? When it started, I convinced a few people to give me a shot and I worked on a couple of these deals and I built up this company where I've been advising 
commercial real estate owners who have this type of debt, this complex type of debt, which has given me a really great insight into what's going on behind the scenes. You know that our our conversation started when I became very vocal about wanting to turn every dying mall into a mixed-use facility. Uh, that was a mix of experiential retail and most importantly, uh, unified fulfillment centers for uh, the tenants of those malls. But can you give us a little bit of a, of the lay of the land here, what you've encountered and why it's so hard for mall owners and these major, major real estate landlords and developers to innovate? Like what's holding everybody back? It's really about, about how the dollars are deployed, right? So I think the first thing that anybody who has a passion for retail and looks and says, I wish this was done a little better they need to look into what drives it. And it's really about the underlying financing structures. And it's a question as to whether, you know, is it more secure to have an antiquated business model that still has some life in it, so you have a guaranteed revenue stream, and or is it more secure to come with the future right. and have no revenue stream? Um, depends who you're talking to. If you're talking to Wall Street, it could be argued that it's the latter. Right. Mm -hmm. It's not the new model. Right. If you're talking about the innovation, well, how many companies have opened innovation shops and nothing's happened from it other than good PR about drones? Right. So <laughs> so that, that's that's the challenge here. And quite frankly, that's why no one has undertaken it. Am I oversimplifying this by saying, Shlomo, that, you know, the, the mall owners that are following that that, you know, the former example that you gave, they're just they're they're sitting comfortably with the the Macy's the you know the legacy retailers of the mall days who have you know ten and twenty year leases in malls and all kinds of stipulations like they're just resting on those for now. But then what happens when those those department stores go bankrupt or you know the the face of the mall it starts changing? What what's happening there? Is that kind of a right assessment? The answer is real estate has always been a self-healing business because real estate is about renting space to someone that figures it out on their own and pays you rent to take the space. I'm not here to give you services. I'm not here to build your business, right? So while every mall retail will tell you, yes, Macy's is a challenge. Yes, they're closing stores. Yes, we have a bunch of other retails that are challenges. They're also going to say, well, these guys come, these guys go. If I have a challenge, that's great. So what do you want me to do? Like, just lay down and die today? Oh, you want me to innovate? You want me to get rid of them today? They're giving me cash flow. Right. Let's be real. A lot of these mall owners are REITs, right? Real estate investment trusts. And this goes, I'm going to continue going back to the financial side of it because yeah. that's, that's where this all is. This all lies. Real estate investment trusts have a metric called FFO, funds from operations. Okay. The biggest reason to invest in a real estate investment trust is the dividend, okay? Because real estate investment trusts distribute, I believe the number is 80% of the cash flow on an annual basis. That's the rule, hmm. okay? And in exchange, they get certain tax benefits for it, and the investors get certain tax benefits for it as well, right? You're not taxed on a corporate level and on a personal level. It flows right through. Again, I believe this is not my expertise, but that, to the best of my understanding, there are tax benefits in, in, involved in this. So um, it's about how much money you can distribute this quarter. It's about how high you can keep your dividend. So the first thing that any REIT 
that has an issue will say is that we've paid a dividend of X dollars for 42 years running and we're not cutting it and we're continuing, blah, 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 et cetera. So that's, that's, that's where the focus is. So I got a Macy's with a 10 year lease. Okay. So they're not doing well. They're not going to pay me rent. They'll pay me rent. If they vacate, I'll deal with it. I'll see what the implications are, whether it's a co-tenancy, which means a bunch of all small tenants say, Oh, if Macy's is dark, we're paying you a fraction. Right. And that takes your property because Macy's is paying $2.50 per square foot, and these guys are paying $42 a foot. And collectively, they represent all my revenue. And Macy's is like, oh, I'd love for them to vacate because I'd love to redevelop it into something narrative, <laughs> which which obviously doesn't make sense. But the point, the point I'm making is that why jump the gun if you got something that's giving cash flow? The problem becomes is that anyone in real estate and retail real estate would have told you that when the retail drag, when the traffic moves to the other side of town, yeah. you're dead. How does a retail drag move to the other side of town? It's very simple. There's nothing to offer on this side of town. So someone goes and builds something better on the other side of town. And that's a challenge. And one of the reasons, again, why I wanted to, to have this conversation, why we're calling it Retail's Big Short for this segment is because many of these conversations, this one included, remind me of the scene in the big short where Ryan Gosling is showing, you know, Mark Baum's team, the Jenga tower. And he's showing you like how all of these things at the bottom are starting to fall. Can you explain for the, the audience, you know, what happens when all of the, the guarantees that these, these REITs are giving their investors, when all of those things start to crumble, they start to go away, when the foundational elements that they're based upon are, are not accurate? Like, what, what's going to happen, Shlomo? No one else. We'll deal with it when it happens. In the meantime, That's we'll try just to- the approach. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. yeah, 100%. We're going to look into innovation. We'll look at the different things that we could do to improve the property, right? Should we add fulfillment? Should we add some resi to it? Like, let's figure out ways to do it. There's no need to upset the apple cart. We still got term on some of these leases. And the properties that aren't doing well, just give it back to the lender. Because, you know, it didn't work. What, what should we do about it, right? But you can do that? I mean, what happens with that? Like, that, I mean- that seems like that's simplifying things too much, too. So, yeah. So part of this whole CMBS thing that I mentioned before, the slicing and dicing, the reason it's interesting to people, even though it has the here that comes with it, is that it's a glorified put option for the Wall Street people out there. It means you have the option to sell it at any time for your costs, right? Means What that means is that there's no personal guarantee on the loan. The loan is only guaranteed by the property. As a matter of fact, the way these loan documents read, they cannot even get a money judgment on the property. They could only take what's owed to prove that the money wasn't paid and they get a judgment of foreclosure to redeem ownership of the collateral for the loan that they made. So it's it's like, well, if it's a B minus mall, hey, I, okay, I'm Simon Malls. Yeah. I got, who knows how many people are working for me, right? I got this mall that's a dog, okay? In real estate terms, what a dog means, it's not making me money, okay? I got a, I got a, a, a mall that's a dog. Do I really want to spend time with my top leasing people to try to lease out a dog? No. No, you know what? Just give it back to the lender. And it's happening. And, you know, there's a term they're calling a jingle mail because he's sending back the keys in the mail. And, you know, you can't really call your lender and say, hey, lender, um, you know, this property that you lent me money on, yeah, I'm giving it back to you. What do you mean giving it back to me? I gave you money. Give me the money back. I don't want your property. I'm giving it. No. So the lender has to agree to take it back or, or the lender has to agree to foreclose on it. In the last downturn, however, 
I know firsthand situations I was involved in where the lender would say, actually, we don't want to take it back. We want you to continue operating it for us. And we'll let you know when we're ready to take it back. Because what are we going to do? Hire some guy that's better than you, Simon Moles? I wasn't involved with Simon, which is an example, right? So hire some guy that's better than you to operate the property. You just keep operating. We'll, we'll call you when we're ready. Thank you so much. Have a good day. So, so I mean, the answer is that there's a bifurcation in the portfolio. Which properties will work well moving forward? Which properties won't work well moving forward? And the question is, which one do you want to keep? Which one could you actually make money off of? So, you know, when you look at some of the valuations in the industry, right. it's rough. Okay. There, there is, there is a, I don't want to mention the name of the company, but there is a huge mall owner whose properties are valued at over based on my, what I'm looking at based on the numbers. I may be off, but I believe this to be the case based on the stock price, based on their debt and based on the, based on, um, they're obviously the market cap. So stock price gives you the market cap, which essentially is a stock price times the amount of shares outstanding. But because the debt is due before equity comes, you got to add that in to get a total value of the company. Sure. Their malls are valued at over $350 per square foot. For the most part, malls in the country are worth about, I don't know, between $100 to $150 a foot on average if you spread them out, right? Okay. And these guys don't have like everything on like fifth avenue okay so the point the point being is that it's being valued at prices that you really can't get at the open market and the reason it's being valued on at those prices is because it's based on cash flow REITs are valued as i said based on funds from operation it's this quarter to next quarter and you know who the owner of this small company is it's grandma I'll explain to you how that happens, right? <laughs> you go to your bank, you go to your bank, right? Yeah. You have a teller, yeah. teller, teller, teller. Do you have investment advisory services, right? Yes. My grandma has a book. She has her, her savings book open there. And she's sitting, I'm making fun. This is probably our grandmothers already. We're, we're becoming grandmothers, whatever. <laughs> but the point is, you know, so, so she has she has the book. She's sitting down. And he's like, oh, yeah, we could put you in a nice little, a nice secure uh, fund. Yeah. And this is a little risk. We've got some international exposure, some local exposure. got real estate. Oh, really? Very good. Okay, great. This guy takes grandma's money, puts it into a fund, then puts it up to another another fund. Okay, well, he doesn't put it, he, he collects it for a fund. The fund manager says, okay, where can I realize a return? Hmm, let's see. Oh, that one guy is up 4% year over year. Yeah, that's interesting return. We should put that into the portfolio. And if you look at the owners of these companies, yeah, these are mutual funds, okay? You and I are talking about, oh my God, what are we going to do about the mall? It's a problem. If you go check your mutual funds you own, they own the mall. You are the shareholder. You get no rights. You pay fees to five people in between. They're making the fee every day. They're happy. But the fact is, that's what's happening here. Innovation is frowned upon. Now, while you and I, Anne, may look at it and say, you know, we know retail. Right. We know real estate. We know where this is going. We need to do something about it. That's not their gig. That's not their job. Their job is to find a stock and to find a stock in a sector. The second these small com- companies that are valued high start going down a bit, people are going to abandon ship, right? And that stock will go down significantly. You got to follow the money. And there is no money from institutional capital to innovate until there's a model that you can innovate with, right? Until you could prove 
that the model exists, right? The model's been proven out. I mean, if we're talking about that and who has the power to do that, I mean, is it just going to be Amazon? Are they the, the only ones that can afford to keep innovating this way or to put something out there that, you know, is worth the investment? Who, who else can innovate like that? Uh, honestly, I think Target is way more innovative than Amazon. Hmm. And I think, and I think, and I think, you know, it's, it, it would not be a stretch to say that you need guys like Jeff Bezos and Brian Cornell who don't care about putting their jobs on the line, so to speak. Obviously, Bezos has a little bit more job security. But, but you know, when Brian Cornell announced that he's going to, you know, redo the stores and all that, the stock took a bit of a dive. And people are like, oh, we don't know. We're not sure. And then all of a sudden, he's got this great concept of fulfillment from store, and he's cutting costs left and right. I mean, these are these are uh, big innovations. And so it doesn't take an Amazon. It could take a regular retailer as well. The problem is, if you contrast Brian Cornell to, insert the name of any other retail CEO here, that, insert the name CEO, is about, cares about his job. Mm-hmm. Obviously, and not just to you know love fest with Brian Cornell, but obviously he cared about the company long term and say, you know what, I'm going to take a bet that this is the right move to go. So how do how do retailers in the retail CEO that we're inserting the name of here, like what what should they be doing? What what are we going? How are we going to like push this forward? How are we going to start to test? Is there a solution to be had? I honestly don't know if it's anything more than them. Um, having the guts to try things right and you know often you'll fail right and 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 you know if you think about it from a from a retail perspective who are the guys that could innovate so it's target walmart amazon it'll throw another couple out here people will bring up things like oh restoration hardware and friedman he's really great at what he does and amazing and you bring up other guys like lululemon right you bring up different companies and essentially say that, yeah, okay, they're they're gonna do great, they continue to do great. Okay, but those are those are one out of many, right? The reality is if we continue down the path we're continuing, we're gonna be left with a whole bunch of superstores. It'll look like one of those, I don't know, there's a bunch of movies where we're just like, you know, I don't know, you know Wally or whatever it is, we're 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 basically part of the system on the hamster, right? Right. Well we what I've been trying to do is is to empower the smaller retail to have the same type of infrastructure that Amazon and Walmart and Target have. Um, I can tell you personally, I have to go it alone. I have to first put this into a property in order to get the real institutional backing behind me in order to make that happen. And that's what we're doing. I'm out there trying to buy these lifestyle shopping centers, right? So in order for the smaller guy to really grow and thrive and compete, they need to get that infrastructure. And Shopify is not it. Shopify is a cog in a wheel. It's the mm-hmm. way to, you know, have your online presence for your online shopping, right? A mall is not it, right? Some creative structures when it comes to percentage rent is not it. You need to really have something that's entirely integrated and something that's cross multiple sectors in order to make it work. That's a huge undertaking. It sounds really, really, really large, a large undertaking until you realize the size of the price, right? And then all of a sudden it starts making sense. So that's the challenge right now. There just isn't necessarily the capital out there to be able to 
uh, find this at this point. So you need someone that has the capital to sort of take a risk at the level that they're able to take that risk. So for me, that's buying properties. For, I don't know, for Macy's, it could be something much bigger if they decide to take some type of a risk. I want to talk about, you know, you are you are out there taking a risk. You are out there trying to figure out how to help um, make this happen. Can you tell us a little bit about how you're doing that and, you know, what uh, what you're doing with Retail OS? What if I told you that I could give you, I don't know, all the stock you could probably hold in a store that's 50% the size of the store you have right now? That will do at least the same amount of sales you're doing now. At the same time, I'll cut, I'll cut your customer acquisition costs and your shipping costs. I mean, that sounds pretty radical, pretty crazy. Right. Like, I don't know what this guy's talking about. Well, the reality is, if you use localized micro fulfillment and your store product is less and replenished on an ongoing basis, and the micro fulfillment is on site with the store, you're able to replenish the store as needed to have the stock that you don't have in store on site. So you could sell all that stock through the store as needed. You can handle returns and exchanges. You could ship shorter distances, okay? You can fulfill e-commerce shorter distances, okay? Um, and you have a retail experience that costs less to operate because it's a smaller store. Mm -hmm. And it also um, has everything that you have online. So, I mean, what I'm doing is essentially taking a lifestyle shopping center the most desirable aesthetically pleasing concept in retail okay i'm taking a box i'm putting in micro fulfillment within ten thousand square feet i could fulfill on an annual basis 200 million dollars worth of product okay wow. and my stores on site are smaller we're also providing a service we are actually operating stores for the smallest of brands or combining them in a multi-product environment, multi-brand environment, where they sort of have the ability to feed off of other brands. Because here's the tricky thing, you know, more owners talk about, oh, we're going to get this, we're going to get this uh, digital native, or that digital native. Even if they do $100 million a year, $200 million a year in sales, divide that by the major markets, there's not enough people that'll come just because they're there. The tra foot traffic's not going to come on its own from their following. Mm -hmm. You need, They need help. So putting right. a digital native area in some corner or elbow and having all the cool stuff, it's just not going to cut it. Right. They need the help. It needs to be a center, a center point, and you need to provide services. So retail right now is financed based on four walls. I'm leasing four walls. The tenant has a lease. He's going to pay me a series. Let's talk, let's talk finance. A series of revenue streams. Therefore, I'm assured that I'll have this type of money to be able to put in, to, to take out of my property as profit and pay my mortgage, right? It's basically a series of guaranteed revenue streams. But the point is all about leases, but it can't be about leases anymore. Right. Because if it's about leases, you're relying on the tenant to make sure that your property is no longer the former retail drag. You want your property to continue being the retail drag. You need to be able to provide a certain level of services to make sure they succeed, which will then have your property succeed, which will then have your property increase in value. What we're doing in our model, we achieve, we achieve NOIs over 25% more than comparative shopping center NOIs, meaning our net income in a model that incorporates the micro fulfillment and these concepts that are put out there generates revenue 25% greater than without it. 
And the reason for that is because we're providing better sales, we have more revenue streams, and yes, the awesome operating businesses mixed in with it, but that's what's needed. Once you have these systems in place, it's a little bit easier for the landlord to kind of flux with what's happening around them to be able to attract retailers who will be better and in a more real-time way than they currently are. We're providing an infrastructure as a service, right? And if that infrastructure changes, the need for the infrastructure to change can be done across multiple different retailers at once. It's not that I have a retailer and I have a limited amount of sales. Sales are down, so now I got to invest money. How's the company going to do? This is literally distributed. It's almost like the crowdsourcing model or the WeWork model, right? It's all. It's about spreading that cat that expense across everyone. But it does something else too. When a retailer comes in on my infrastructure. I can then roll them out across all my properties because that infrastructure is in place across all those properties. And that's why I worked very hard to put the intellectual property in place because, I mean, I want to be able to work with that as opposed to having to compete with it, right? So um, that's, that's really um, where landlords can combine with other sides of with other sides of the business to sort of to sort of make things work. And that's what Amazon's done, right? Amazon does e-commerce, then they add advertising to it, they add logistics, it, all these businesses, right? So Amazon could do it, but no one else could do it, right? If Amazon could do it, everyone could do it. It's going to require though a complete reimagination for these these owners and operators of of their business model. I mean, this is not going to be running the business the same way that they have before. What, what, do, what's the likelihood that this is going to happen? I mean, what do you think that it's going to take for them to really understand that that's, this is something that they need to start invest in, investing in, that it's not just, you know, adding new features to the mall or, you know, adding some pickup curbside pickup services for tenants. Like what's, what's it going to take for them to understand that they're now needing to provide this like operating system for the mall, not the, the four walls. The only way to it sometimes innovate is to sort of take away what worked and say, mm -hmm. okay, what do we do now? Right. So as of right now, there's still a revenue stream. And I, and listen, I don't doubt. And I, I know for a fact, that these discussions are ongoing in the halls of power across any of these big REITs, real estate and REITs. For example, if I'm Simon and Brookfield and I have all these malls, I can just say, oh, you know what? Uh, today's a good day. We're just going to forget about those and start from scratch, right? You can't do that. You right. have an obligation, fiduciary responsibility at the minimum, right? So, and forget about just obligation to yourself, not to just like say, oh yeah, let's just forget about everything. Let's start all from scratch, right? So you need to figure something out. The problem is that what if what you have being a physical brick item isn't malleable, right? You can't turn a brick into a slice of pizza. It just doesn't happen, right? So right. What, what, if, what if it doesn't change? So what do you do? How do you go about it? And that requires a really in-depth analysis. In order to get to that in-depth analysis, you need to have so much perspective. And then when there's all this this noise about experiential, all this noise about fulfillment, and all, just so many different things. And then there are some malls that are doing well because you have like Tiffany, like little American Dream, right? There's this article about American Dream and issues with American Dream. And, you know, I think, I think the developers there are just not only good people, but they've done an amazing job, right? But that thing's in distress. And according to Bloomberg, they potentially could be walking away from it, right? And if you look at that and you say, 
if you're reading the same article that Hermes is opening up, I think Tiffany's opening up, it's happening. Everything's happening. Right. It looks good, right? To the outside person, Sean, he's like, oh, finally, these guys got it right. They must be making a killing. No, they're about to lose the property. Why? Because the underlying economics aren't working or they ran out of time. And that's the challenge that, that the industry has. And, you know, do I believe that I have a solution potentially for some of these mall owners? Again, not to come across the hoodie, yes, I do have, and I've told it to them. But it's a very far cry from let's incrementally make changes in a way that doesn't upset the apple cart. That is impossible. You can't just do that, right? Now, can you take one mall and use it as a test case? Yes. Have they done it? No. What have the motivations been? The motivation has been how to keep as much of the status quo in place because that's giving revenue. And that there... That right there is a challenge, is the mistake. And I don't know what happens when it happens, but it's very possible if we don't get a handle on it, that we end up with Walmart and Amazon and a few others. And that's all she wrote. Well, Shlomo, I want to thank you for painting this picture for us today. If people want to have this discussion with you, they want to continue to learn about the work that you're doing um, just really get a better understanding or, or start exchanging Slack messages with you on, uh, on what's going on as, as articles pop up, like, you know, the American dream story we talked about, about Amazon getting into department stores. What's the best way for people to get in touch with you? We create a community. We're calling it retails at IO. It's R E for real estate hyphen tales, T A L E S stories that IO for the tech. It's a nice little cute name great and if you go there um we're gonna be we have a slack channel with a lot of people from from different sides of the business from technology uh, you're on it um from uh, from uh, real estate from retail from logistics and everybody's in the room and people post articles and people comment on it back and forth so if you go to the website it's retales.io can reach out to me via LinkedIn. Um, I try to respond. I also want people to make sure that if they're on Peloton, that they look you up because Shlomo has one of the best Peloton handles I have ever heard in my life. So Shlomo, if you will let people know uh, where they can join you for a Cody Rigsby ride, I would really appreciate it. Oh my God. Well, I haven't been on the Peloton in a while, which is a problem, but if I'm going to get peer pressure from everybody to go on the bike. Oh, you will. Slow motion. Don't slow even motion for you. I can't believe I'm saying this in a public environment. Okay? It is the best. I've not what heard a better one. Listeners feel free to submit your names, but I have not heard a better one than slow motion on Peloton. Uh, slow mo chop. Thank you so much for being with us today. I appreciate all of your time, your insight, and for teaching our audience just about what the situation is right now with retail, real estate, and especially with our malls. Thank you so much. And as always, be careful out there.